This morning, I'm really excited to be able to introduce to you um, someone who is special not only to me, but I know is special to you as well, simply by virtue of relationship. And uh, maybe there are two or three in the room who have had the privilege of meeting Jim and Beth before. Pastor Jim Darnell, um, from 1972 and forward, has been my pastor. And a church that was launched in the Austin-San Antonio area of Texas uh, became really the womb for launching many, many ministries, hundreds and hundreds of full-time missionaries and ministers and pastors. Uh, pastor Jim, God just gave him the spirit of a father and has been fathering and mentoring people in ministry and served both in pastoral leadership roles, apostolic roles, uh, leading networks and fellowships of churches and ministers, and, and also uh, as a professor, Bible teacher in Bible colleges and schools in different states. And uh, today... He just loves Jesus and goes wherever the Lord sent him to go. He's at a great season of his life. I, I couldn't express the amount of respect, admiration, and appreciation that I have for Pastor Jim Darnell, and I couldn't wait for him to be able to come. We were able to match it up. He's going to speak in the morning sessions at our upcoming conference, and I wanted him to be here with you so you could meet him, hear from him, and, and I'm a little nervous. The reason I'm nervous, not, not, not because of Jim being here or that I'm concerned about much, except that he knows a whole lot about me, and, I, I'm, and he's known for his storytelling. So with that note of nervousness, would you please welcome, give a good Riverbend welcome to Pastor Jim Darnell. Come on, give him a good welcome, please. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bobby, did I really do all that stuff you said? Is that true? I guess it is. Wow. Well, he didn't mention that I married he and Carrie about 42 years ago. I guess that's about right, huh? Pretty close. Yeah, sure did. Buried his mom and daddy. We've had a lot of, lot of uh, interaction with the Hill family through the years. Praise God. Have great respect for Bobby and Carrie and who they are and what they've done. And... Uh, Counted a blessing to be here today. Amen. My wife Beth is with me. We've been married only 55 years. We got, you know, we got married when we were in uh, elementary school. But uh, <laughs> we're so glad she could come too. Praise the Lord. Uh, before I begin to teach, let me just mention my two books. One is called God's Great Outdoors, Outdoor Stories for the Kingdom Message. Uh, I am a very avid hunter and fisherman, outdoorsman. And for 20 years, Bethy and I had an outdoor, Christian outdoor television show in which we filmed hunting, fishing, camping, scenery trips. And uh, I would relate the natural to the spiritual. Actually, we caught a bunch of fish and we filmed it, just sat there in a boat, opened the Bible and teach the principle from the Word of God. And uh, so we enjoyed doing our TV show for, for those years. And this book basically came out of the television show. Uh, it's just a collection of 31 hunting, fishing, camping stories, each of which teaches a principle of the kingdom. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a book about family, friends, uh, it's a book Danger. Uh, in, in the book you can read about me uh, rescuing an old doe from the cold waters of an Alabama bay. Uh, you can read about me on a runaway horse from the side of the Rocky Mountains about to plunge off of a thousand foot cliff to my death. You can read about my youngest son Tim and I caught in a whitewater hydraulic in a little raft about to be sucked down to our death. Uh, you can read in there about me returning from a quail hunting trip in South Texas in which my bird dog Maggie has just crushed a striped skunk to death. And uh, our, our trip home is three and a half hours back to San Marcos. And our hunting vehicle that day 
was a Volkswagen Beetle and she's on the back seat. Uh, I think it was more of a, a German gas chamber than a Volkswagen. Uh, so all those, all those stories are in that book. You might, I've, I've sold thousands and thousands of that book. You, you enjoy it. And then my new book, The Disciple of Jimmy or James, it, it occurred to me one day recently that I, I had the, the name of one of the original 12 disciples. And so what I did, I, I wrote the book. I just projected myself back into that time walking with Jesus and what it would have been like to have walked with him and things that we just kind of don't think about. Uh, what would it have been like when you've been a fisherman all your life and all of a sudden now a demon is screaming out of a man that, where Jesus is teaching the word of God? Wow. Uh, do you think those bandages, when, they, when Jesus says unwrap Lazarus and let him go after you've been dead for you think those bandages stunk? I figure they probably did. So those sort of things. It's just a, a very uh, insightful book into what it would have been like to walk with him. We got those out there. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to teach the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that your Word is, is, is so good and so real and so rich and so powerful. Lord, we thank it never returns empty but always accomplishes the purpose for which it's sent. So we pray it be sent this morning by the Holy Spirit. Send it into the hearts of your people this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to preach about Jesus this morning from an Old Testament character uh, that many Christians have never heard of and, and most have never studied. And yet I believe that this character is the most beautiful type in all of the Bible of an undeserving, helpless sinner becoming the recipient of the redeeming grace of God due to a previous blood covenant. Uh, the Queen of England, Queen Victoria, many, many years ago, when she heard this story, she said, that's the most beautiful story that I've ever heard. And she gave an order to her royal chaplains that every man who entered the armed forces of the United Kingdom must have this story preached to them. The man that I'm going to speak from this, this morning uh, is named Mephibosheth. There are five references in the Bible to Mephibosheth. They're all in the second book of Samuel. And so we're going to read all five of those. And as we read the story of Mephibosheth, only two things you need to remember. David is a picture of God and his attitudes. Mephibosheth is a picture of us, the fallen, undeserving sinner. So the first reference is found in 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. give you just a little background as we begin to read. You remember that King Saul had rejected the Lord and the Lord had lifted his anointing off the life of Saul and placed it upon the life of a young shepherd boy named David. From the moment that the anointing was lifted from Saul's life, his career was downhill. He becomes confused. He becomes fearful. He can no longer make good decisions. And now a tremendous Philistine army is about to invade the land, is invading the land of Israel. Saul is full of fear. He can't get a word from God. He can't hear from God anymore. And so in desperation, he goes to a witch's den to try to get revelation from God Almighty. The next day he goes into battle. The Bible says his shield not anointed with oil. And that day on Mount Gilboa, King Saul died in battle. Prince Jonathan died in the battle. Two other of the sons of Saul fell that day in battle. And the armies of Israel were routed before the enemies of God, the Philistines. And we read now in 4.4, it says, Jonathan, 
the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. And he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And so we're told that this nurse who was uh, watching over Jonathan's son, uh, when she heard about the battle, thinking that any moment now the Philistines will be here, or more likely thinking at any moment now David will be here to execute all of the descendants of Saul to establish his kingdom. In her haste, she grabs up this little boy, begins to run. She drops him. He receives a spinal injury and becomes a paraplegic. And the Bible says his name was Mephibosheth. And now chapter 9. Our, uh, many years now have transpired in our story. We know that David did become the king of Israel, first king over Judah, and then seven years later, king over all of Israel. And he became very successful as a king. Uh, he has many sons and daughters. He has prospered materially. The enemies of God have been subdued by his armies. He's just been a very successful king. And one day now, he's just surveying the kingdom. He's kind of in a meditation mode, surveying the kingdom and all that's happened. And something is missing. And he asked this question. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now that word kindness is the great word of the Old Testament. It is the Hebrew, Hebrew word uh, hesed. It is a covenant word. Uh, every time in the King James Bible you see the word mercy, it is a translation of this Hebrew word hesed. It is a word that means covenant loyalty. It is a word that means loving kindness. It, it's, just, it's just covenant through and through. And so David says, is there anyone left of, how, of Saul's house that I may show the covenant mercy of God to him? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, your servant is he. And the king said, is there, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? That's our word again. Hesed. That I may show the covenant loyalty, the covenant mercy of God to him. And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And the king said, where is he? And Ziba said, said to the king, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and did obeisance. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, your servant. And David said to him, Fear not, for I will show you kindness. I will show you mercy. I will show you Hesed. I will show you the covenant loyalty of God for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he did obeisance and said, What is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's son. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's son may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, 
According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. And so this cripple moves from the desert into Jerusalem, into the palace of the king, and takes his place at the table with the king's sons. Now, chapter 16. Again, years have passed in our story. And in these intervening chapters, we're told that David had a very handsome, ambitious young son named Absalom. And we're told that every day, Absalom would take his place at the gates of the city of Jerusalem. And as people came from the various regions and provinces with their complaints and their problems, Absalom would intercept them before they could get to King David. And he would say, oh, tell me, tell me your problems. And they began to pour out their hearts to Absalom as he put his arms around them. And then he would say something like this, you know... My dad just doesn't have time to pastor the people anymore. But if I were king in Israel, I would see that justice is done in your situation. And the scripture says he stole the hearts of the men of Israel from his father, King David. And the day came when Absalom sounded a trumpet in the streets of Israel. And a full-scale revolution broke forth in the Davidic kingdom. And as we come now to this passage, Absalom and his rebel army are entering the city of Jerusalem from one side while David and a band of loyal friends are fleeing out of Jerusalem toward the Jordan Valley on the other side. And so chapter 16, verse 1, And when David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, a 100 bunches of raisins, and a 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? And Ziba answered, The asses are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? Where's Mephibosheth? Notice that David expects him to be among that loyal band who flees with him. Where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I do obeisance. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. And so as David flees from the holy city, Mephibosheth is not among that band of loyal friends who flee with him. Now go to chapter 19, verse 24. In these intervening chapters, a great battle took place between the rebel forces of Prince Absalom and the loyal forces of King David. And we're told that as the armies of David leave for the battle, the last instructions that he gives are deal gently with the young man Absalom for my sake. Now this was the heart of a father speaking, not the heart of a king. He knows he's, he's, I know he's a rebel. I know he deserves to die, but he's my son. Deal gently with him for my sake. And those two great armies clashed that day in battle. And the rebel forces of Prince Absalom were defeated before the loyal armies of David. And we're told that, that Absalom, seeking to escape, was riding on his mule through a thick oak forest. And Absalom had a long flowing head of hair. And his 
thick hair tangled in those oak branches. The mule went out from under him, and he's left hanging there, suspended between heaven and earth. Uh, in my, one of my preaching classes one time, one of my students preached on the subject, the day God hung a hippie. I, I won't tell you who that student was, but... Uh, And one of the soldiers, uh, discovering Absalom hanging there in the tree, uh, went and told Joab, General Joab, who was a bloodthirsty general. Joab said, take me to him. And Joab took three darts, threw them into the heart of Absalom, and took his life. And so as we come to chapter 19, David is now returning to the city of Jerusalem, triumphant as a king, but brokenhearted as a father. And notice the first person to meet him as he enters the city. Verse 24, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until the day that he came back in safety. And when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant Ziba deceived me. For your servant said to him, Saddle and ask for me that I may ride upon it to go with the king, for your servant is lame. And Ziba has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What for the right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, well, why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the property. And Mephibosheth said to the king, oh, let him take it all. Since my lord the king has come safely home. Now, obviously, somebody's lying. Ziba said, I tried to get him to come with me. But he said, no, I'm staying behind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the kingdom that's rightfully mine. Mephibosheth said, no, I wanted to go. I told him, saddle the donkey for me that I can go with King David. And he just left me here, that rascal. And David doesn't have the discernment as to who's telling the truth and who's lying. So he said, I tell you what, I'm just going to divide the land between you. And Mephibosheth responds, he can have all the land. I'm just glad my Lord the King has come safely home. Last reference, chapter 21. Again, years have transpired in the story. And we're told in 21, in verse 1, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord. Now David had an understanding that Israel was a covenant land. And in the covenant land there was to be no famine. Only blessing. And yet there's been famine year after year. And so David is seeking God as to the reason for it. There must be a reason. And the Lord said there's blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Now we have to go way back in Israeli history to understand what's happening here. You remember when Joshua and the armies of Israel crossed the Jordan, they crossed with a mandate from God Almighty, make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. These people have sinned away their hour of grace. And Israel was to be the hand of God's judgment upon those wicked nations. And so in in accordance with that command... They conquered the city of Jericho and put everyone to death in the city except Rahab and her kin. After a brief setback, they conquered the city of Ai. They exterminated everyone in Ai. The next city on the list is the great city-state of Gibeon. And the Gibeonites are smart enough to put two and two together. 
that our fate is going to be the same as Jericho and Ai. So the scripture says they acted with cunning. You remember that story? They put on those old ragged clothes. They put on those old tennis shoes with holes in them. They got all that old uh, moldy bread and put it in those old broken ragged sacks. And they made their way to the camp of Joshua. And they said, cut a blood covenant with us. And Joshua responded, oh no, we can make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. We cannot do that. And they said, but we're not of this land. Well, we've come from a far land, far, far away. Well, when we left, these were new clothes. And look, they're all worn out now. These were new Nikes. and They got holes in the soles now. Uh, this bread was hot. Now it's all green and moldy. We've come from a far land. Liars, they were 26 miles from Joshua's camp at Gilgal. And the Bible says that Joshua and the elders of Israel sought not the Lord. And they entered into blood covenant with the people who were under the sentence of death. Three days later, it was discovered that they had been deceived. The people said, bunch of liars, kill them. But Joshua understood blood covenant better than that. He knew he had entered into a sacred binding covenant with these people. And so he calls them in. He says, from this day forward, we're not going to put you to death, but you're to be drawers of water and hewers of wood for the house of our God. And then years later, Saul, when he becomes king in his early years of zeal, attacks the Gibeonites and kills some Gibeonites, violating that blood covenant. And now God says, yeah, there's famine on the land because there's blood guilt on the land because of what Saul did. Wow. So the king called, in verse 2, the king called the Gibeonites. Now, the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites, and although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to slay them in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And how shall I make propitiation that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, It's not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And David said, Well, what do you say that I should do for you? And they said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us, so that we should have no place in all of the territory of Israel. Let seven of his sons be given to us, that we may hang them up before the Lord at Gibeon on the mountain of the Lord. And the king said, I'll give them. Now look at this now. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son John, because of the covenant of the Lord, which was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Here was a perfect opportunity for David to ditch Mephibosheth. I mean, for years now, he's had a man sitting at his table that he don't know if the man is loyal or not. And here's a perfect opportunity to get rid of him, give him over to the Gibeonites. But he spared Mephibosheth because of the covenant that he had cut with Jonathan. Now go with me in your imagination to the Judean desert. As we see a chariot making its way across those desert sands, if you draw a little bit nearer to the chariot, you'll find on the side of the chariot the insignia of the royal house of King David. And this chariot is on the way to a little desert outpost called Lodibar. And there in that desert outpost there lives a young man now in his mid-twenties who for 20 years has been hiding in this desert outpost. He is afraid of David. He has been told all his life, David is your enemy. If he ever finds you, it's over. And he has feared that day all of his life. And now that day is about to arrive. The chariot makes its way into Lodibar, to a back street, to a little house. Strong soldiers dismount the chariot, rap on the door. When the door is open, the servants see it's the, it's the soldiers of David. They flee from the house, but there's one who can't flee. 
because he's crippled. And they say, we are looking for the man named Mephibosheth. And he answers, I am he. They say, your presence is demanded in Jerusalem by King David. Strong arms, lift him up, place him in the chariot, back across the Judean desert to the city of Jerusalem, to the palace of King David. And there Mephibosheth is deposited before the throne of the most powerful king on the face of the earth. Mephibosheth feels it's all over now. He has found me. And then David begins to tell him. Amazing. Amazing. Mephibosheth. Don't be afraid. I don't want to hurt you. I want to bless you. I want to pour out upon you. All of the covenant mercies of God. Everything you lost. When your grandfather fell that day. And when your father died that day. Everything you lost. I restore it back to you. All of the property. All of it. You are now a rich man. And more than that, I want you to move out of that desert to Jerusalem and into my palace and take your place at my table among the sons of the king. Mephibosheth cannot believe what he is hearing. He said, but sir, I don't understand. I don't understand why you show me such kindness. I have not been one of your loyal followers. If I had been one of those who followed you those years that you lived in the caves fleeing from my grandfather, I would know you were rewarding me for service. But sir, I have not been one of your loyal followers. The truth is, I have feared you. I have hated you. And David says, I know you don't understand. Let me tell you about this. He says, many, many years ago, as a young man, I met your daddy, Jonathan. Neither one of us were married at that time. We became close friends. God knit our hearts together. And one day, we decided to cut blood covenant. He said, Mephibosheth, I can remember that day just like it was yesterday. Your father and I met, and the first thing that we did, we exchanged our robes. And as I put on your daddy's robe, it was like I robed myself in the dignity of a king. And then we exchanged our weapon belts, from which hung our sword and our dagger and our slings. And as I girded on your father's weapon belt, it was as if I girded on strength and might and power. Mephibosheth, I know you don't remember your daddy, but he was the premier soldier of all Israel. And then we took an animal. We split him right down through the skull and the backbone. We laid the two halves over against each other. And your, and your dad and I walked into that path of blood. And there we raised our hands toward heaven. And I took a dagger and cut a little slit in my wrist. And your father did the same and we put our wrists together. And standing there in blood, as blood is running down our forearms and dripping off of our elbows, we begin to make covenant vows to one another. And I vowed ever to be loyal to Jonathan and to his seed and to his house forever. And he did the same with me. And then we invoked curses upon ourselves. We said, God Almighty, if ever we violate these vows that we made today, May you split us right down through the skull and the backbone like this animal that we stand between. And then we sat down together and we broke bread and had wine. We had a covenant meal together. And all these years, Mephibosheth, when I've seen this scar, it has reminded me of that covenant. And I've just been bursting to bless one of the seed of Jonathan. And now I found you. <laughs> I found you. And he begins to explain then to Mephibosheth. 
Mephibosheth, that day when I cut blood covenant with your father, Jonathan, I did not cut blood covenant with him just as an individual. I cut blood covenant that day with the house of Jonathan. I cut blood covenant that day with the seed of Jonathan. I cut blood covenant that day with all those who were potentially in the loins of Jonathan. And so today I honor that covenant and I bless you with all of the mercies of God Almighty. Now hear me here. If you don't get anything else today, get this one. 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary, God the Father cut blood covenant with God the Son, become the Son of Man, and the representative of the fallen race of Adam. That day on Calvary, God did not cut blood covenant between himself and you and I as individuals. If the covenant is between God and me, or the covenant is between God and you, we will mess up our part sometime probably before 6 o'clock tonight. <laughs> but the covenant is between God the Father and God the Son become the Son of Man and our representative. And God the Father is never going to break the covenant. And Jesus the Son is never going to break the covenant. That's why the Bible can speak of the blood of the everlasting covenant. Praise God. But even some more good news. Not only did the Father cut that covenant that day with Jesus the Son. But he cut that covenant with all who were in his loins. In his spiritual loins. All those who were in Christ. How many of you this morning are in Christ? Then the covenant, praise God. The covenant is between the Father and you. Hallelujah. As his seed. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, if that isn't the gospel, I don't know what it is. Mm. Real quickly, five things about Mephibosheth went through. First of all, he was the fallen son of a fallen king. And when King Saul and Prince Jonathan fell that day, Mephibosheth lost everything. Now in the same way, we are the fallen sons of a fallen king. How many of you know Adam was made to be a king? Adam was created with a tremendous intelligence, given authority over all the earth. He was the king of the earth. But when he fell, all of us who were in him, in his loins, we fell. And we lost everything. In the uh, in the New England Primer, which was used in the early days uh, of, of this nation, the Puritans, uh, to teach uh, the alphabet and teach reading, there was, for every letter, there was a theological saying. For A, it was, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. When he fell, we fell. And so we need to always remember, you see a man in the gutter, destroyed by his own passions, by alcohol, by lust, whatever. We need to always remember, that man was born to be a king. That was not the intention of God Almighty. He was born to be a king. He is the fallen son of a fallen king. Second, he was not seeking God. He was hiding. Actually, he was afraid of David. His, his whole concept of David was wrong. All of his life, he's been told, if David ever finds you, he will kill you. David is your enemy. David hates you. You are a threat to David. All that he had heard all of his life. He was not seeking after God. He was hiding. In the same way, the fallen sons of Adam are not seeking after God. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, None seeketh after God, no, not one. Now, people are seeking 
meaning in their life. They're seeking fulfillment, but they're not seeking God. The truth is, most people have a wrong concept of God. They feel, if He ever finds me, <laughs> with all the stuff I've done, He'll step on me like a roach. The beauty of the story is, no, he was not seeking after God. It was David come seeking after him. It was the Lord seeking after him. Seeking him out. Sometimes I get a little amused at the, at, at the, uh, the young Christians who give their testimony. Oh, I just was just so hungry, hungry, hungry for God. And I was just looking for God and I was just seeking for God. And I found him. They'll grow up. <laughs> They'll grow up. The truth is, the shepherd left the 99 to go into the night to seek us out when we were sinners, when we were not looking for him, when we were his enemies, the Bible says. Praise God. Hallelujah. Third, he was crippled and by no fault of his own. He was crippled because somebody dropped him. And today we live in a land full of emotional cripples because someone dropped him. You see, divorce is the great crippler in our society. It is a great crippler. That little nine-year-old does not understand. Even though there may have been reasons for the divorce, all that, that nine-year-old cannot understand why mom and daddy could not love him enough to stay together. And so they come out of that broken home crippled. Alcohol is a great crippler in our society. It's the number one drug problem in America. I have never yet, in all my years as a pastor, counseled one person who grew up in the home of an alcoholic that didn't come out of it crippled. Alcoholics are incapable of showing love because they're totally self-centered upon their, 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 their addiction and their self. And so the child grows up in that home without the love of the father or the mother because of alcohol. Uh, you grow up in a very negative home. Where there's never any affirmation, there's never any praise, it's always negative, it's always criticism. You come out of it crippled. I tell you, there's there's some of you here who may have had a mother who was so negative, so critical, she could stand in the living room, she had a tongue long enough to stand in the living room and lick the skillet clean in the kitchen. I mean, just (laughs) negative all the way through. You'll come out of that kind of a situation crippled. You go off to school, and you're different from the other kids, and it's... And, and you, you wear glasses or whatever. You're four eyes. You're fatty. You're dummy. All of that cripples. And people who make it stand up straight on the outside, but on the inside, they can't stand up. They're crippled. And the good news is that Jesus, the healer, is here today. He's walking among these aisles to heal cripples today, to make you whole, to make you be able to stand up straight on the inside. Fourth, he lived at a place called Lodibar. Lodibar in the Hebrew means without pasture. So he was starved. And today, the fallen sons of Adam are living at a place called Lodibar, where there is no pasture. And because of that, they are trying to feed in forbidden pastures. Trying to find fulfillment over here in this pasture of perverted sex, or this pasture of alcohol, or this pasture of drugs. Always feeding in some forbidden pasture. Because they're hungry. What they need to do is come to the shepherd and bishop of their souls who will lead them into the green pastures and beside 
the still waters. Praise God. And last of all, he didn't know his true identity. How did Mephibosheth see himself? I am a dead dog. Wow. That was his self-image. That, that's the way he saw himself. I'm nothing but a stinking dead dog. Have you ever seen a dead dog on the side of the highway? Most of us have. It's not a pretty sight. They're usually laying there on the side of the, of the road. Their tongue's hanging out. They're bloated. They're bloody. Flies are all over them. And that's the way Mephibosheth saw himself. I am a stinking, no good loser. I am just a dead dog. He, didn't know, he did not know his true identity. He wasn't really a dead dog. But that's who he thought he was. The truth was, he was the grandson of a king. He was a son of a prince. And now he is the covenant recipient of all the mercies of God who's to sit down at the table of King David with the sons of the king. Praise God. That's, that's who he really is. That's who he really is. Praise God. But he, but he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. Would you dare to believe today that you are a covenant son, a covenant daughter, invited to dine at the king's table? Or some of you are going to hold on to that dead dog image? There's some of you here that have the dead dog picture. I don't know how old we get that. Sometimes it's programmed into, it, programmed into us by parents. Sometimes it's programmed into us by experiences of life. Sometimes by other kids, whatever. But it's easy to get that dead dog image that I'm a loser. I'm no good. I can't do anything right. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Would you choose to believe today the truth that you are a covenant son of the king? Praise God. Wow. Man. Mm. You know, Bobby, I have never yet in ministry found anyone who lived under the dead dog image that was ever able to do anything in the kingdom. They're always, they just can't ever get over the top and, and overcome. They live under that dead dog failure image. And that thing has to die today. The axe needs to be laid to the root of the dead dog picture. Praise God. And begin to be birthed a new picture in you. Wow. I am a highly favored son and daughter of the king. Glory to God. And that, that's not easy to get a hold of sometimes. It's too good to be true. Can you see Mephibosheth that first night in the palace? He pulls those silk sheets up. He says, what is a dead dog like me doing in a place like this? This is too good to be true. But it was true. And we got to believe it. Amen? We've got to believe it. Praise God. Wow. You know, when, when Jacob wrestled that, that night all night with God, and then the, the Lord's about to leave, he says, uh-uh, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. What did God give him? Did he need a new camel? Did he need more goats? I'm not going to let you know, go unless you bless me. It's God that chooses the blessing here. And he says to Jacob, what's your name? What's your nature? Well, I'm Jacob, which means deceiver, tricky, manipulator. And he had lived out that all of his life. That's, that's who he thought he was. And God said, no, I'm going to bless you. Here's what I'm going to bless you with. I'm going to bless you with a revelation of your true identity. You are not Jacob. You are not deceiver. 
You are not manipulated. Your name is Israel. Prince with God. His life changed when he got a hold of that. When he got a hold of that. You got to get a hold of who you really are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Wow. Is that some story? Man. <laughs> Woo. I love it. It's the gospel in the Old Testament. Amen. It's the gospel. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow together for prayer. We had just a few minutes to pray here before we're, we're finished.